This is the Sue Freeze Show, the pursuit of passion, purpose, and connection. Now, here's Sue Freeze. Thank you so much for joining the Sue Freeze Show, and I'm so happy to be with you today. And today we're going to talk about to change, we need each other. Hmm, do we? That's an interesting concept. And you know, I've been spending a lot more time alone lately. And alone time is really good. And there was a time when I just never wanted to be alone. And then um, I realized that the quiet time, the quiet time, the peaceful time is a time when we can just hear the birds chirping and kind of take in what's around us. And and it gives the Holy Spirit a chance to work, a Holy Spirit a chance to be able to be listened to. And that's not a bad thing. And during this time, what I realized, too, is that I really love being around people. But I don't want just to be around anyone. I don't know about how you feel about that. Just to be in a crowded room with a bunch of people is not really where it's at for me. Um, I want to I have real conversations. My little sister and I were talking about that even today, is that sometimes we're around people that just they have a difficult time getting in touch with how they feel, and they have even more of a difficult time exposing how they feel with other people. And it takes a realness in a relationship in order for us to get there. And it's in that connection. When you really feel connected to somebody, it's when you can feel them, you, you feel like you can understand where they're coming from, and it, it makes things better for both parties. Because, you know, we're in this journey, this lifelong journey, and we're not alone. And the devil wants us to feel isolated. He really does. And it's not really the way God created us. He created us to be in relationship. So to change, we need each other is by Rick Warren, which I love following what he writes, what he says. Um, I'm so in alignment with with him. He just, um, I don't know, I just feel the way he says things are so great, and it gives you chance to pause and really do a a self-assessment of where you're at, what's going on in your life, so that you can improve upon, hopefully, um, how you're doing things, what you're doing, so that we can be better. So two are better off than one because together they can work more effectively. If one of them falls down, the other can help him up. But if someone is alone and falls, into temptation even, it's just too bad because there is no one to help him. So Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 is where that scripture comes from. God wired us to need accountability. We need each other to break free from our hurts, our habits, and hang-ups. So if you're serious about breaking free from temptation, you will need the support of others. That's why there's support groups. And that's why there's success in those support groups, because we need to hold each other accountable. Now, isn't this true in our personal life and in our business life? I think so. In fact, once you understand that you can't change on your own, you'll be free to see how God is already working to transform your life. And you'll see how he uses other people to help you change. The truth is, we need each other to grow. Sometimes the thing you want least is the very thing you need most. So you need a friend who checks up on you, and you need a group that supports you. I'm saying you need because we do need each other. 
um, sometimes people would rather not go down this road. And why is that? And if you're one of those people, I'm just taking a little side sidestep here because what I'm saying is if this is uncomfortable for you, uncomfortable is okay. And in order for us to have a breakthrough, sometimes those breakthroughs take an uncomfortable time. And I, I really challenge you or encourage you to get uncomfortable. Just get uncomfortable. It's only temporary. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, two are better off than one, which we already read that, so I'm not going to read it again. Everyone, everyone, you, me, everyone is tempted. And you know what you know what I'm talking about there. You will never get to a point in your spiritual life where you're not tempted. In fact, the more mature you become, the more Satan is going to put you on his most wanted list. But consider this. If you were more consistent in confessing your temptations to others, you wouldn't have to confess so many sins. The Bible says, brothers and sisters, if someone in your group does something wrong, you who are spiritual should go to that person and gently help make him right again. But be careful, because you might be tempted to sin too. By helping each other with your troubles, you truly obey the law of Christ, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. At Ecola, when I'm doing interviews and I'm talking to people about how they handle situations that are uncomfortable, I asked them, I said, look, if you are with a person or a group and there's somebody that says something that affects you, something that you don't really feel good about, what is your, what do you do? And they will give me their response on how they handle that situation. And then what I tell them is that a cola, what we require is that you go to the person that you have an issue with. They might not even know that they've done anything. They might not be aware. And whether they are or they aren't, it's your responsibility to let them know what they did and how it affected you. Then it's up to that person to decide what they're going to do with that information. This is a healthy relational situation to where you, get, you gain understanding, hopefully, and both parties are willing and able to learn. And then I say, if, if you go to the trouble to do that and you are real with this person, it's up to that person to decide what they're going to do, and hopefully they're going to hopefully make some corrections or say they're sorry or, or that they, they really didn't mean that that way or whatever they're going to say. And then the next step is if there isn't any um, acceptance of the responsibility, if they don't say they're sorry or whatever the situation is, then you your responsibility is to go above that person to the next person in charge whether it's a supervisor or a manager, and it can go all the way up the chain to me because I think it's important that we all feel valued and that we all feel heard. I think that's something lacking now in our, in our life, our lifestyle, at work, at home even, and at school, you know, or at church maybe. And it's really our responsibility to hold each other accountable. So that's what we do at Ecola. And it works out well. The only time it doesn't work is when this isn't done. Then we find out later that this happened like six months ago or two months ago. And I'm like, why didn't you, why did you wait so long? You know, why didn't you say something sooner? And there's always a reason why. And usually it's because they don't want to 
hurt somebody's feelings or they feel uncomfortable coming forward and, and having an honest conversation. And I don't know about you, but there's been many times in my life where I've held off from having a conversation because the timing or because I'm just not sure how to say it in, in the proper way. And I always have to keep an account of what it is I'm trying to accomplish. What is the goal from this conversation? And I can tell you that the many times where I hesitated or I waited, when I finally got the courage or I finally felt the timing was right and I had the conversation, I looked back at how much time was wasted in the relationship that could have been so easily not wasted if I just would have been quicker in my response. Now, not always is that the case. We have to be wise, prudent, discerning in our situations, but there's been a lot of times where I wish I wouldn't have waited so long. And I don't know, do an assessment of yourself. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've held off that conversation? I've been in relationships where there's people that just are so uncomfortable that they, they almost are like they just put their head in the sand. And they think that if they don't talk about it, it's just going to go away. And listen, I'm just here to tell you, those things don't go away. They just don't. So Mr. or Miss, if this is you... I just really, hopefully, encourage you to have some courage, be strong, have courage, and have that tough conversation. And I think that either way, no matter how it goes, you're going to be thankful pretty much most of the time that you had the conversation. It's much better than living in the dark, isn't it? What's the law of Christ? Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? By helping each other through temptation, by helping others by be faithful to their commitments, and by helping them break bad habits and start good ones. That's the best way you can love your neighbor and obey the law of Christ. Think about who is your neighbor. It's everybody. And think about if there's a person that comes to mind right now. Holy Spirit, please give each person a person. Who comes to mind? Who's, who's the face? Do you see a smile or a sad face? And Lord, just guide each and every one of us to make um, an effort to love thy neighbor, however that is. If you've just tuned in or you've been listening, thank you so much for doing that. This is the Sue Freeze Show, and if you want to connect with me, I welcome that. Oh boy, do I welcome that. And how do you do that? You go to Sue Freeze, spelled like fries, oneword.com. Go there and um, let's connect. Top Bible verses about helping others. God commands us to love others. One of the most simple ways to love is by helping when we see someone in need. Whether it is our time, money, or energy, giving to help someone in need is a mark of a mature Christian. We also find that helping others is a blessing to ourselves. Plus, you never know when you will be the one in need. Scripture tells us that we reap what we sow and that there are blessings for those who seek a life of serving, loving others. The Bible is filled with verses and examples of people of all ages helping others. It doesn't matter if you have a lot to give or a little. It's the heart that matters. Read these scriptures about helping others and be encouraged today to go make a difference in someone's life. You never know how a small act of kindness can draw someone closer to God. Be inspired today to be the act of kindness and light of Christ. 
that those around us need. There is somebody that's coming to mind to each and every one of you listening right now. There is a face, there's an issue, there's a circumstance that is coming to your heart or your mind. And right now, can you just make a note of it? And that face, that name that comes to mind, can you put that on a priority list? Can you put it on a priority list to make a phone call, to text, to reach out, to knock on that door? Whatever it is you need to do, just to find out, just touch base, just connect. You, you won't be sorry that you did. You won't be sorry. Embrace your hope. First, verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now that is not something you do with your hands or your feet. You don't go to the kitchen to do this or to the den or across the street or to the office or the school. This is not done where anyone can see. This is an affair of the heart. Embrace your hope. Hold fast to your hope. Be a hope-filled person. Hope in God because God has made promises to you and he is faithful. He has promised to write the law on your heart, Hebrews 10, 7, 16, excuse me, and work in you what is pleasing in his sight, Hebrews 13, 21. He has promised to remember your sins no more, Hebrews 10, 17. He has promised that we will be perfected for all time by a single sacrifice, Hebrews 10, 14. He has promised never to leave us or forsake us, Hebrews 13, 59. And he has promised to bring good from all our pain, Hebrews 12, 10. And so he keeps his word. But that does not provide you with a sufficient focus for the day. God did not create you to curl up under the covers and hope in God all day in bed. Without some effect on your life, hope in God would be invisible and bring no public glory to God's power and wisdom and goodness and trustworthiness. If the act of hoping in God were all that he created you to aim at, then verse 24 would be wasted words, but they are not. God created you first to hope in him and then to make that hope visible by the effect that it has on your life. And that effect is given in verse 24, and it is to be the aim of your daily life. This is why you get up in the morning. Do you know why you get up in the morning? Do you have a goal in mind when you get up in the morning? You know, um, personally, the thing that's happening with me right now is that I have this little rubber bracelet on my wrist, and it says, pray first. And I'm making it such a goal and such a priority that I'm praying. It says to pray. In the Bible, it says to pray without ceasing. And and it doesn't mean you have to, you know, close your eyes and cross your hands and, you know, get on your knees to pray. That's good, too. But it just means that all day long there's this conversation happening. And he's always with us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He's always there. Verse 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Here is the focus for your life. Here is what you aim at from morning till night as a Christian. Notice carefully, it is not what you might expect. It is not consider how to love each other and do good deeds. That would be biblical and right, but it's different. Consider how to stimulate each other to love and good deeds. Focus on helping others become loving people. 
aim at stirring up others to do good deeds. And of course, the implication would also be that if others need help and stirring, we do too. And so we would be aiming at what sorts of ways we can think and feel and talk and act that will stir each other up to love and to do good deeds. The aim of our lives is not just loving and doing good deeds, but helping to stir up others to love and to do good deeds. There's a little there's a little switch in that, isn't it? It's yes for us to do this, but we're to encourage others to desire and look forward to doing this also. It's called multiplication. You're multiplying the effort. And uh, anything in life is, it's about multiplying. It's not always making babies. It's multiplying. It's multiplying what we're doing to create a bigger, better result. We're supposed to be fisher of men, fishers of men, right? So that means we need to bring more people into the kingdom. We need more people to be doing good deeds and loving on others. That's what we're called to do. Number three, consider each other. But let's be more precise. There is something in this text that is very hard to bring over into English. The word consider, let us consider how to, is used one other time in the book, in Hebrews 3.1, where the writer says, consider Jesus. That is, look at him, think about him, focus on him, study him, let your mind be occupied with him. Jesus is the direct object of the verb consider. Consider Jesus. Consider what? Consider Jesus. Well, in Hebrews 10.24, the grammar is the same. The direct object of the word consider is one another. Literally, it says, consider one another. God calls for everyone. Consider one another. But this is almost impossible to bring over into English with the rest of the sentence because it would be so awkward. It would have to go something like this. Consider one another toward the stimulating of love and good works. Now, that is terrible English. Good Greek word, order, but terrible English. The best we can do, it seems, is to say, consider how to stimulate one another to love with good deeds. But I want you to to get this nuance of the original so you can feel the force of this as a daily aim and focus for your life. Literally, this is God's call on us to consider one another, that is, to look at one another, think about one another, focus on one another, study one another. Let your mind be occupied with one another. And the goal of this focus on others is to think of ways of stimulating them to love with good deeds. Let's take teenagers, for example. There are a lot of teens who are alive to God. You have tasted his love for you and experienced the power of his forgiveness, and you want to do his will. But like most everybody else, you get up many days and feel aimless. What's the point? Why school? Why work? And you slump through the day trying to feel good with music and food and friends, but it doesn't feel like there's any point to it at all or any focus. When you die doing what you were meant to do, you die well and full. I urge you to hear God's word in Hebrews 10.24. When you get up in the morning, consider, think about, ponder, deliberate, meditate, mull over other people. With this conscious goal, what can I do today? so that they will be stirred up to love and to do good deeds. Now that gives us a reason to live and to focus for every day that will never be boring. Every day is new and different. People change. Their circumstances change. You change. But the call remains the same. Consider, consider. Change. You change. But the call remains the same. 
these people you will be around today, what are they like? What am I like? What will the situation be like? What helps a person become loving? What is the origin of genuine good deeds? This is the reason for living that is focused enough to be practical and big enough to last a lifetime. This has given me a chance to ponder and to think about this because I am a natural encourager. What is your bend? You know, what is it that's important to you? Where do you feel you fit? What skill set, what spiritual gifts do you have? And are you utilizing them to do these things? Because we're not all the same, are we? And that's a wonderful thing about our Heavenly Father is that we're doing different things. So this is encouraging for me because I really want you to just be thinking about this and think about how you can uh, do things different in the future. And in my time of quiet, like I go to the lake right now and I'm just there by myself and I have this house and I have this all this wonderful things and I'm thinking, gosh, I really cannot wait for some people to come over so I can share this beautiful place with other people and I really would like to have that. And my family, like my daughter, she has two little little babies, babies. And so it's not easy for her to get in the car and come and visit mom or grandma. And so um, I know this time will pass and that there will be time where we can have family memories built and, um, you know, large meals and laughter and playing cards and doing all the things that our family loves to do and friends, having friends over and whatnot. And it's just been different, hasn't it, with everything that's been going on. And this world is just a different place right now. It's just crazy, isn't it? But we have to find our heart in in what Heavenly Father is asking of us. Be bold, please, and be a blessing. Uh, we will be back with more of the Sufri Show right after this brief break. Have you noticed more insects or rodents in your yard, or maybe in your home? Warmer weather means it's mating season. What's your sign? Hi, this is Sue Freeze of Ecola Termite Pest Control, but you can call me the Termite Lady. And I'm Tyson Freeze, manager at Ecola. When pests start mating, they start looking for food supplies. Your pantry, your garage, and a quick infestation can cost hundreds in tainted food. You don't want pests in your house. We know how to find and eliminate them before they can settle in. Call us for our free pestimate at 877-332-BUGS. New customers get $50 off any initial treatment. Pests hate that we make our service so affordable. Don't let insects and rodents move in. Call E. Cola now, 877-332-BUGS. That's 877-332-BUGS. Or online at termitelady.com. E. Cola, powerful termite and pest control. As gentle as a butterfly. E. Cola, 877-332-BUGS, termitelady.com. What would you do if your two-year-old child simply stopped breathing? The day businesswoman and author Sue Freeze discovered her son had developed life-threatening asthma, her life changed forever, sending her on a path of learning, discovery, and environmental activism. Sue's book, Learning to Breathe, chronicles her amazing life-and-death battle for her son Tyson's life, a how-to manual for parents of children with asthma. 
revealing the secret causes, surprising cures, and the untold truth about harmful indoor allergens. Written with the passion of a loving mother, wisdom of a successful businesswoman, and deep spiritual devotion, Learning to Breathe is a hero's journey for the parent in all of us. If your child suffers from asthma, this must-read book could save your child's life. Learning to Breathe by author Sue Freeze, available on Amazon, or log on to suefreeze.com. That's suefries.com, suefreeze.com. You're listening to The Sue Freeze Show, the pursuit of passion, purpose, and connection. And here again is Sue Freeze. Thank you so much, so much, so much, Cola Termite and Pest Control for sponsoring this show. Uh, if you'd like to sponsor the show, I'd love to talk with you. And I've been doing advertising for, I don't know, 40 years. So I know a little bit about it. And if you'd like to just test this, uh, this show is syndicated, and it goes San Diego, Oxnard, Orange County, L.A., of course, Fontana, Inland Empire, all the way up to Santa Barbara, Santa Maria, all the way up to SLO, San Luis Obispo. So if you are you know, wanting to see if this could be a medium that you could use to bring more customers in and, and you know, just get the word out that you're there. We can do it for the area geographically of where you are. So um, contact me by going to Sue Freeze, spelt like fries, one word, dot com, and I'll be happy to just discuss it with you and we can find out something that works for you. And you won't be going after customers that are not in the area in which you service. And I look forward to that moment. So please contact me, Sue Freeze, spelt like fries, one word, dot com. Another thing is when you go to the website, there is, there's been a lot of things that are there. Obviously, there's 11 years of podcasts there. You can look things up by date, by topic, by guest, uh, all of those things. I just had um, some employees that had a parent um, go to heaven, you know, leave this world. And um, I even mentioned to them to go to the podcast or the show that was on the seven layers or seven um, stages of grieving or loss. And there's a lot of people that have lost loved ones. And um, I didn't know when I lost my loved ones, my mom and my dad, that there were these stages. And it, it became very comforting to me to know that I, it was okay um, how long it was taking me to process things because everybody processes things in their own time and that's okay there's nothing wrong with that so you know it's kind of a wave you'll have a good day and then you'll have a not good good day and that goes on for a very long period of time and that's okay and it's nice to know that that's okay so if you want to uh, look that up I, I welcome you to do that and that's on Sufri's felt like fries when we're com. also Ecola termite and pest control we're located um, up and down every area that I just discussed as far as territory we have offices in all of those areas from San Diego to San Luis Obispo and if you are looking for a new career we want to talk to you we want to talk to you and if you have a license not a driver's license which you need also and a clean driving record um, but if you have any pest control, termite licensing, applicator, branch two, branch three, we really, really, really would love to talk with you. And if you want to just start a new career, we can help you with that also. We have long-term commitments of employees that have been with me a long time. I have employees that have been with me 35, 30, 28, all the way down to somebody that just started like three weeks ago. 
And we need about 20 more people right now. You have to be athletic uh, because it's a dirty, athletic, physical job to be out there taking care of our customers with their pest and termite problems. We take care of your most expensive investment, your home, your family, your pets, and we would love to talk with you. So please, if you know somebody that's looking for a career, we want to talk to you. Okay. So we're talking about, um, you know, what kind of encouragement we can be to other people to love thy neighbor as thyself. And how do we go about doing that? And, uh, you know, part one of this show, uh, I went into the beginning details of this from Rick Warren. And I'm going to continue with part two right here. And it says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Come to church regularly because we're talking about that we need each other in order to change, in order to grow. We need to hold each other accountable. We need to, we need to, you know, come together. And I, I have found that there has been a lot of isolation. There's been a lot of alone time because of what's been going on. And um, it's time to, like, get back to somewhat of norm. And um, how do we do that? And how do we hold each other accountable? In love, of course. Right? I mean, we, we have to think about that in a loving way. We're not trying to judge and put somebody down and point fingers at them and tell them they're unworthy and that they're not, they're not anything. We want to tell them they're loved by Christ and by us and that we're doing this because we love them, not because we're trying to harm them. It's all in the manner in which we speak to people uh, on how they're going to take it, right? And that is not a wrong application of the text, since one of the most important kinds of encouragements and exhortations that we get is from the preaching of God's word and the power of God's spirit. Hebrews 13.22 calls the book of Hebrews a word of encouragement. I did not know that. I'm going to put that in my Bible. But in the context, the kind of coming together in view seems to be one where the members encourage one another. Verse 25 is explicit, come together and encourage one another. The one another implies that there is something mutual going on. One is encouraging another and another is encouraging one. Each is doing or saying something that encourages. Can we, can I just ask you, can we ever get enough encouragement? There are so many things in the world that are negative. There's so many things that are negative, negative, that I just think we need to counteract that with a double courage, you know, encouragement, a double encouragement. Yes. If you ask what that corresponds to in our church, I would say the closest thing is a small group, which is why I regard this ministry as so utterly crucial. I am a great believer in preaching. There's something about the Word of God that begs to be heralded and trumpeted and exalted over, as well as discussed and taught. But I have no illusions that preaching is enough in the life of a believer The New Testament, and especially this book of Hebrews, calls us again and again to a kind mutual ministry that involves all the believers to encourage one another. So I ask you to take stock of your life. Where are you? In verse 25, there are two groups, those who gather to encourage each other and those who have formed the habit of not gathering. See that little phrase in verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, non-participation in a small group can be habit-forming. How are you doing? I'm not in a small group right now. I have community, and I have people that I kind of um, hang around, but I'm not in a small group right now. And I think that if you're not in a small group, maybe together we can hold each other accountable on this, and we can get involved in a small group. The hard part is 
mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine. Those are the difficult things. But I think that there's ways everybody's getting around these things now. So I think if we really desire to gather, we'll figure out a way to make it happen. What kind of encouragement, which leaves one last question, what kind of encouragement stimulates others to love and good deeds? It's not obvious to some that this question has anything to do with God. Lots of people think that love and good deeds are a good thing to seek after. And many would say that encouraging others is the way to do it. And they might not even be Christians. Or they might be Christians who put little focus on God. For example, in yesterday's newspaper, one church was described like this. While the pastor spoke of sending out missionaries, the feeling was that his congregation existed to heighten the self-esteem of its members. Whether or not that's an accurate description of that church, the point is this. A lot of churches would try to stimulate love and good deeds that way. God is calling you to make a habit of participating in small group togetherness where you encourage one another. But it's not the biblical way. The key to encouraging love biblically is given in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The key to love in the New Testament, the kind of love that magnifies God and not man, is hope rooted in the faithfulness of God. Embrace your hope, cherish your hope, because God is faithful. He keeps his promises. Without this kind of hope sustaining you day by day through all the disheartening frustrations and crushing disappointments, you would not have any strength or energy or joy to stir anybody up to love and do good deeds. But if you bank on God, not on yourself, you always have something encouraging and hope giving to say. Namely, God can be trusted. God can be trusted. I have no strength, but God can be trusted. Side note for me is that there's battles that we're facing every single day. There's things that come at us and we're going, where did that come from? And, you know, what? And the only thing that I can say is I, I try to do what I can do. I, I look at what part of this is manageable by Sue Freeze? What, what can I do? And then I can't control another person. I can't change another person. I can't change what's already transpired. That's history. All I can do is look at the now. I can learn from the past, I'm, I'm in the present, and I'm moving towards the future, and I need to know what my goal is, because sometimes we can move in a direction that really is a knee-jerk reaction emotionally, and it's really not the effect or the outcome that we really desire, it's just a knee-jerk reaction. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever been in that? So if we always focus as a parent, okay, you've got children, and yeah, we can get upset because the kids don't follow our rules or, or um, you know, they cause us to worry needlessly. There's a lot of things there. But if our goal is to teach them to make good decisions and that there's natural consequences for their decisions and their actions, then that's going to live longer than we will as their parent who has maybe control now because they don't have a car, they don't have the car keys, they're still living under your roof. There's going to come a time, parents, believe it or not, where they're not going to be living under your roof. There's going to be a time, parents, where you will have to hand the keys. You are going to be able to, um, you're going to have to let them fly out the nest. And when that happens, everything you've done up until that point, everything that you've trained them up in the way they will go, 
They're going to have that in them. And that's what your goal as a parent is, is to do that, to instill in them character, to instill in them moral values. And if you do that, well, parent, your life will be easier. You know, your, your position will be easier in your life. And the sooner the better. They say that children form a lot of their beliefs and their thinking by the age of eight. Eight, not 10, not 15, eight. So parents, it's not too late. It's never too late as long as there's breath, there's hope. All I'm saying is, is that those of you that have little ones, those of you that are still in this discipline stage, you have to understand there's going to come a time where you're not going to have the controls you have now. So looking back at the situation, we need to look at what we can do something about. And then those things that we don't, that we can't, we can't fix because I'm a fix-it person. I'm a peacemaker by nature. But those things, what do we do with those things? Where do we put those? And I have to tell you, it's not easy for me to do what I'm going to say right now, but I hand it over to the Lord. And it's getting easier. The more I trust, the easier it becomes. Isn't that true even in your relationships right here, right now? Those that you feel have your interest at heart, those of you that feel you can trust, it's much easier, isn't it, to hand things over to them? I have some employees that I know that they've got E. coli's best interest at heart. It's much easier for me to not micromanage them. It's much easier for me to trust that they're going to make the right decisions because they've shown me that they can and they do and they care. There's others in my life that I don't and can't because of their actions. And those people are the ones that I have to watch over and I have to make sure that they understand and they're going to do things the right way. And that could be at home, it could be at work, it could be in church, no matter what area I'm in. I know those because history and trust has proven itself. And then the rest, I have to trust the Lord. He's faithful. And the more I do that, the easier life becomes for me. Because let me tell you, from experience, worry, stress, it does nothing good for you. And it, worrying about something and stressing over something is not going to change a doggone thing. It's not. I know. Right? I know. And, and I know you know, too. You're probably shaking your head going, yep, man, I stressed so much over that and it didn't change a thing. But praying about it, put it in God's hands and going to sleep, praying, Lord, please give me revelation. I declare that you're going to take care of this and, and your promises are true and that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna take this and you're going to deal with it and I'm going to trust that it's in the right hands. And you go to sleep and you let it go and you go to sleep. And you wake up the next morning or halfway through the night and all of a sudden you have this revelation. All of a sudden you have this idea. And that idea can change so many things. But you have to be open to it. You realize that, right? When you're praying, you're asking for a revelation. You're asking for discernment. You're asking for the answer. And then he gives it to you and you question it. Maybe. I don't know. 
without this kind of hope sustaining you day by day through all the disheartening frustrations and crushing disappointments, you would not have any strength or energy or joy to stir anybody up to love and good deeds. I have to tell you, when I start my morning out with prayer and I'm thanking God for what I do have and what's going on in my life, good and bad, it changes something inside of me. And I think that if you've done this, you realize that it's true. And if you haven't done it, I welcome you. Try it. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Pray first. Wake up in the morning and before your feet hit the ground, before they hit the floor, just thank God for all the things that you're blessed with. No matter what you're going through right now, there's people that are going through a whole lot worse. I went to a golf tournament yesterday and Ecola sponsored a whole floor, a whole hole number three. And uh, I have to tell you, it was the furthest hole on the golf course. It was so far away from everything. There was nothing out there. And I was out there by myself in between these people that come in, and I got to meet every single golfer. And there was one guy, he was the friendliest guy of the whole bunch, and he had two prosthetic legs. And it was for veterans. It was a, um, you know, where money was going towards the veterans. And it was so wonderful. It was an awesome experience. I don't play golf. And, um, man, there's some serious golfers out there. There truly is some serious golfers. They have this little tracking device on their phone. They, they can see where the hole is and where the ball has to go and, you know, how high it has to go. And this hole was 257, I think, feet. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's what it said. And they come in and they're like checking this out, figuring out what they're trying to accomplish is in this life. They, they come, they, they step off that golf cart and, okay, what club do I use and and where do I stand, and where do I put, put my tee, and, and then, hmm, am I going to hit it high, am I going to hit it to the right, am I going to hit it to the left, and then we've got to just hit it just right, that sweet spot that sounds so wonderful on that club, and I, I was thinking about the parallels of golfing and life, and it's so interesting that life has so many parallels. And how often do we not think about the end goal? How often do we not? You're listening to the Sue Freeze Show. Sue Freeze, spelled like fries, one word, dot com. I would love for you to go there. I want you to connect with me. I want to hear about what's going on in your life and, you know, successes and trials, circumstances that you're going through. Nobody reads them but me. So just go there. Sue Freeze, spelled like fries, one word, dot com. And I'd love to hear what's happening with you. Um, how long you've been listening to the show, just anything like that, because I'd really like to, to just know what's going on with you. Resources for a difficult situation. Let me close with an illustration that comes nine verses later. How would you try to encourage and sustain the love of your small group if some of them were thrown in jail in a hostile environment? That's what happened here, and the rest of the group knew that if they went to visit them, a small group meeting in the jail, they all would be in big trouble. Where would you get the resources, the courage and grace to risk your life and possessions to go encourage your brothers and sisters in prison? Look at verse 3435 for the answer. You showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, so they did go to visit them. 
and did get in big trouble. Where did they get that courage to love and encourage love? Next phrase, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. That is because you held fast to the confession of your hope. You embraced your hope. You cherished your hope in God above the present value of hope, of home and things and even life. Therefore, verse 35 says, repeating verse 23, do not throw away your confidence, which is great reward. This is what encourages you to risk your life. And this is the message to take to them. It will stimulate love in them because it did in you. Make the aim of your life to consider others. Study them, know them, figure them out to the end that you stimulate them to love and good deeds. Number two, be sure that you do this by getting together often with other believers for the specific purpose of encouraging each other. Number three, and let the heart of that encouragement be reminders of how great our hope is in Christ and that God can be trusted. And as you see the end of the age drawing near, Verse 25 says, do this all the more, not less. Why? As Jesus said, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. Did you hear that? Does that kind of describe the law and the, the, the world we're in right now? Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love has grown cold. There's so much controversy and and hatred going on right now and pointing fingers and judgment. And we need to love one another. We need to love the Lord and love one another and accept people, accept people. It doesn't mean you're accepting what they're doing, but we need to love the person and hate the sin. Have you ever heard that before? I like that. I like that a lot. So I just have a little time left. Um, God's expectations on how we should treat each other. There is a whole bunch of verses that are here. I mean, two pages of verses. So I'm going to say a few of them, and then I'm going to just say that you can get this list of these. There's a whole bunch of them, and they're really good. They're they're kind of things to just, you know, things to do. I like, you know, tell me what to do, and I'll do it. I used to say that to the Lord, and I still do. And and there's a whole bunch of commands here and, and expect God's expectations of us. Leviticus 9.11, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. I had a guy come into my office and he wanted a job. He wanted a career with me. And I was, I was thinking that it might be good. And then he told me that he did side jobs for his last company. And I said, I can't believe you would tell me that right now. I could not hire this gentleman because he told me that. I mean, he's telling me that he's lying and stealing from the company he's working for, and I'm, if he's going to do that for them, he would do it with me. So there was no way I could hire this gentleman. Anyway, I thought that was surprising. John thirteen thirty four, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Romans twelve ten, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. There's a whole bunch here. Uh, Romans fifteen fourteen. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiving each other. That's a good one. Oh, there's so many here. Uh, Colossians 5.13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
there's a whole bunch here. They are free. They're free. Go to Sue Freeze, spelt like fries, com, and you can download them along with the I Ams. If you don't know what those are, check it out. Thank you so much for joining. Be a blessing each and every day. God bless you. Bye-bye for now. It's a time of the year when bugs multiply like crazy and start looking for a home, your home. Ants, spiders, fleas, earwigs, termites, and a lot of other creepy crawly critters, even rats and other varmints. It's time to call E. coli Termite and Pest Control Services. They offer complete ecological pest control of rodents and insects. E. coli has one-time services, ongoing monthly services, their most popular and economical every-other-month service, and even quarterly service for occasional pest problems. E. coli keeps rats and mice out and eliminates insects in their nests. It's the most effective way, and their termite control is legendary. So call E. coli today for a free estimate of complete pest control at 877-332-BUGS. No more creepy-crawly critters like ants, spiders, fleas, earwigs, termites, rats, and other pests. Call them at 877-332-BUGS. 877-332-BUGS. E.C.O.L.A. Powerful pest control services as gentle as a butterfly. Ask about their two-year warranty. Call 877-332-BUGS.